Welcome to Rock Bible Church. We are a Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. We are telling us in casual ways that welcome all to worship, being... Man, the people need a leader, I guess, huh? My goodness. Uh, yeah, welcome. Good to have you. Uh, we have uh, ushers coming down the aisles with uh, Bibles, outlines, pens, if you want to follow along. Uh, everything will be up on the screen. But we also have prayer request cards if you have something that you'd like us to pray for as a staff or prayer team. Uh, fill that out, drop it in the offering plate at the end, and we would love to pray for you. Uh, and then we'll even go a step further. If you'd like for us to pray with you live uh, after service, come on up here, stage area or in front of the front row. I know you're all definitely afraid of the front row for some reason. Uh, but you come up here, we would love to just pray with you. A couple members of the prayer team will be here. I'll be up here. And then uh, and then we can pray face to face if that works for you. So, What was Wednesday? Does anybody know what Wednesday was? It was after Tuesday, and it was before Thursday. No, no, no. What was Wednesday? What do we do Wednesday mornings? Yeah, yeah, Does anybody know what was significant about this last Wednesday? Come on, Bryce, nice and loud. He said it was the first time men's fraternities had 50 guys at 6 a.m. So uh, we're 50. We're celebrating 50. So there we go. And uh, it's week five, I think of 40 plus every week uh so that's that's good i I think that's significant and it's a sign it's we're trending i think that's the terminology right um none of us are really on twitter so (laughs) but we're we're trending in our own way uh so men's ministry if if you know if you know there's any way come join us it's a great opportunity uh you know we know work happens and schedules aren't always conducive uh, but there's other ways to get connected, and small groups is one of them. And if Wednesday morning doesn't work, there's other ways to get in a small group. See Brent Baldwin, commercial over. So, uh, ready for? We're going to keep playing this game. What's tomorrow? All right, we did. What's when? What was Wednesday? Anybody want to? Jan, you're no. N- nice try. It is Monday. It is our sixth anniversary. October tenth, two thousand ten. We launched. I totally forgot. So first, first service went through the whole morning. We didn't, we didn't even mention it. So your second service extra today is, hey, congratulations. Tomorrow we're six years old. Um, yeah. So, so how about tomorrow uh, you shoot a few prayers and uh, thank you prayers. That'd be, that'd be good. God's been good and faithful and uh, what a blessing. Uh, how about a fun announcement the day before our sixth anniversary? You, wanna, you ready for a fun announcement? With visuals. Oh, I, I want to invite Gino Cunningham up here. Uh, so uh, Gino's here today uh, with his wife, Adami, and uh, Gabby, Sammy, and Maddie, who are exceptionally taller than the last time I saw them. So uh, very fun. Um, Gino uh, was on staff here for years and helped us build many of the things. He's about to use a microphone that he probably purchased. Uh, it did, it, you know, I mean, most of, a lot of what we do here it was due to you. Uh, but then you had a dream and we worked on it and 
And uh, a little over a year ago, you went out and started another church like a crazy man out in the Central Valley. And uh, and so people ask me all the time, you guys, hey, how's Gino? What's going on out there? Tell me a story. I got tired of answering that question. So we just brought him here, and uh, and he's got some, some slides for us and such. So you want to walk us through some pictures? Yeah, I'll walk you through the slides, but just on what Scott said, because I had this thought as I was watching the band, and it, everything is so great. I mean, the band's great, the music's great, the place looks great, and... You know, uh, we're going to go into Philippians in January, and Paul writes this letter of joy to the Philippians. He says, I just, you're on my heart all the time. Uh, I rejoice over you because of our partnership in the gospel. You know, this place started six years ago, and it started out of a dream that some of you know the story. Scott and I sat on the floor of SeaTac Airport in 2007, and that's really where Rock Bible Church kind of started. And to, to come back, you know, when you birth something like that, it's like, a, it's like having a kid, you know, and, and you're, you're so invested and you love watching it grow. And I got to tell you, I just took a lot of joy during that worship time and, and seeing all the people up here and the singing and the sound and uh, moving the speakers to the right place um, and the fruition of all that I got to be a part of. So it's such a blessing to be a part of what is happening here now. And it's been such a blessing to have you be a part of what now is happening in the Central Valley. So that's our church building in Ripon. That's Christmas Eve service. That's Christmas Eve service. We do candlelight. It's a great idea, by the way. Yeah. Uh, that was a couple weeks ago. And that's the inside of our building. That was last Easter. That's our version of Doris. Her name is Louise. And uh, she's, she's blessed us uh, tremendously. And that, for many of you, is when we commissioned our associate pastor right here in the stage uh, over a year ago. And he's preaching over there today and uh, doing a great job. So Pastor Bill is, is uh, eternally grateful for this moment. Uh, we, he's talked about it many times, and that was, that was a great day for us. So uh, good things are happening. I think that's it. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, so amazing things are happening over there. Uh, God is blessing. God is growing us. Um, it's become a microcosm of the things that have happened here over the last six years. We're just still in our first year, right? But God's really doing some great stuff. And my encouragement to you this morning is to know that you had a hand in that. You had a part of that in supporting me and supporting the idea. And nothing happens in a vacuum, right? And you guys, whether you realized it or not, felt it experientially or not, you had a huge part of what's going on over there. And God's doing some incredible things. And it has Rock Bible Church's fingerprint all over it. Uh, we have a vision statement, a mission statement. It goes like this. We're a Christ-centered, biblically-based church community living in the hope of the gospel. Sound familiar? Not exactly the same, but it gets the two most important ones right. Christ-centered, biblically-based. That's why this place is growing. That's why I'm confident the church out there is going to grow. And uh, we're just thrilled to have RBC in our DNA and look forward to good years to come. A lot thanks to this guy. He's had his fingerprint on most of it. I said, I said it first. Or I just got to say it again. You sound like a senior pastor. <laughs> <laughs> you totally do. So, um, yeah, and, and so is a week ago or so, it was like one year? Yeah, last weekend was officially one year when I hired onto that church. So October is kind of an important month for us. <laughs> you haven't had a Sunday off since, right? This Pretty much no. first Sunday off. Pretty much, yes. 
Yes. Like he's had one day off and he came to see you. Yeah. Right? That's pretty cool. Which, which the testimony to what God's doing is this month too. We hired another full-time staff person to help out with music and children's ministry. Um, and so me being away, place isn't going to fall apart. Bill's going to do a great job. We've got good music. And so it's cool. It's fun. Right on. It's fun. That's good. Bill called just a minute ago. You might want to call him back. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, uh, hey, that's that's awesome. And uh, I just, you know, I'm so proud of you and everything you guys are doing out there. And you know, I just remember sitting in Pete's over there inside of Rayleigh's and you going, hey, I got an idea, <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, but, hey, I want to say thanks to Hadami, to Gabby, Sammy, and Maddie. You know, uh, no man works in a vacuum either. Everyone for you for keeping him straight. A man, a man left on his own, heads the wrong direction. So we appreciate all your guys' hard work. Yeah. Hey, let me pray for you, Lord. Thanks for uh, Gino and for First Baptist Church of Ripon. Uh, thank you for uh, Hedami and Gabby, Sammy, Maddie. Uh, for Gino, for all that you've done in their church, for Bill, Rob, uh, all the elders and the different people that are working on uh, really reviving uh, an area and a church and a building. Uh, Lord, people come into Easter and Christmas and things like that that wouldn't have uh, in a church growing to proclaim your gospel. And Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing. Pray you bless them and we know uh, there's times where it feels difficult and whatnot, but Lord, pray that you would uh, give them patience, endurance, strength, wisdom. Uh, most of all, Lord, your blessing. We pray your blessing over them. And so, Father, we thank you for all this in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, go have a day off. Yeah. All right, student ministries, we're going to clear you guys out, uh, dismiss you guys out to uh, Fellowship Hall with uh, Giuseppe and such. Uh, big kids, you're staying in here with me. We're Second Corinthians chapter uh, four today. So if you want to get that out, everything's going to be up on the screen. Um, Paul's writing to a, a young church, uh, not a brand new church, uh, but he started them, and then within uh, a couple years or so, they're going through growing pains and uh, what a, a little church kind of like we are would go through. Uh, and so uh, we thought, you know, we did First Corinthians, and when it was appropriate, now it's probably appropriate to do Second uh, Corinthians because it's, it's applicable to us. Uh, and so we're going to get into that in just a second. Before we do, let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for your word, and Lord, we thank you for the time we have to take a step out of our regular week, our regular responsibilities, and dedicate our time, our thoughts, our emotions to you. And Father, uh, we pray that you would give us a leading as to who you would have us be, what's important to you. Uh, and then maybe, Lord, help us even to pick our steps that we're going to take uh, this, even this week, even today, as we go from this place. Uh, steps that will bring more of your glory uh, to us, to ours, and the people around us. And so, Father, we pray that uh, your word, our time in it this morning, would be to that end. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, comma. What do we need to know? Why would he say therefore? Because he already wrote something. He's assuming that you already read it. 
and, and this is just a little rabbit trail for me to say, this is why we do chapters at a time. Uh, because there's a progression of thought and an idea. It's really a letter, right? You ever get a letter and only read the third page of it? No, I'm just going to read the fourth page only. I'm going to skip the first three. I know what the last page is about, you know, blah, 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 love in Christ, whatever, sign off. No, no, uh, we read the whole letter uh, so that we really get what he's trying to say. You know, really, there are almost no verses in the Bible that were meant to re- be read on their own, solo. Uh, and so Paul's been making an argument about why why churches get difficult, why difficult people in the church persist. And he's, he's uh, exhorting the church, encouraging the church, uh, don't be difficult. Uh, in fact, uh, draw back in the difficult people uh, because we have a ministry. In chapter 3, last week, you can find it on the website, uh, he talks about this idea of we have this ministry of conforming or transforming or becoming the same image. Uh, we liken the same image to what Paul was getting at was this, the image of Christ. We've got this ministry of conforming to the same image of who Christ is. Uh, and, and there'll be difficult people along the way. There always are in every room. Yeah? There's always a difficult person. No? Have you not learned this? Okay, here's a little trick. Here's a little trick. If you're in a room, you're at a party, you're at an event, and you look around and you can't tell who the difficult person is, everybody else is looking at you, okay? Uh, Paul says you have a ministry to be of the same image of Christ. Therefore, have this ministry by the mercy of God, and we do not lose heart. Why would he say that? Why would he say we don't lose heart? Because, wait a minute. Ministry is hard. Getting along with people, cooperate, serving is hard. There will be difficulty, pushback, complaints. What, what were the, uh, well, we used to have them. What were they called? Communication slips? <laughs> they need a better name than that, right? Communication slips. Uh, we don't lose heart. Why? Because uh, although we're going to go through things, there's an end game we're trying to get to. Uh, we need not be distracted from what our true end game is. We need not be distracted from the true value of those in the game with us that they might make it to the end game with us as well. Uh, so we don't lose heart, and Paul has to remind us of that because we give up, we get frustrated, we don't get our way, we get tired, we, uh, it gets costly, and, and we, uh, they're difficult, you know, did you hear what they said, you know, all that kind of stuff goes on, and Paul says, yeah, 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 that's all small stuff. Uh, he's, he's actually going to rip on it a little bit. You've you got to complain, he's going he's gonna to make fun of your complaint. It, it's at the end, we'll get there, right? Uh, so we don't lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Well, that's just not applicable today because we don't see disgraceful, underhanded things in our culture today ever, right? Uh, but we do see sarcasm all the time, especially at church and even more second service. Okay, we got to go easy on first service people. They might not be awake. They're a little bit type A, you know. 
Second service, you get a full dose of my spiritual gift. Sarcasm. Uh, we see disgraceful things all the time. Um, I heard of a disgraceful thing this weekend, but I want to reference it later. Uh, the reality is uh, we, we need not look very far to find something that was underhanded. Backdoor deal. Uh, somebody said something behind somebody's back. Somebody leaked a video. Whatever it is. Uh, we see those kind of things all the time in our culture. Uh, and, it's, and it's unfortunate. The problem is when we see it all the time in our culture, we are tempted to, everybody does it, to do the same. Right? We follow in kind. Paul says, no, 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 we got a bigger end game. We got a more important thing. We don't lose heart just because somebody said this or did that or they're a different political party uh, or they didn't spend their Saturday that way, same way you did. Uh, we move on to the greater things, the greater, and we're not going to play the game the way other people might play it. We refuse to practice cunning. Not just we don't practice cunning. No, 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 we refuse. That's hard, harder language, stronger language, isn't it? Now, if I asked you, do you see disgraceful, underhanded, or cunning on a regular basis, you'd say yes. And then when we found the people that you would accuse of dishonest, uh, you know, disgraceful, underhanded, uh, cunning, when we found those people and drug them in here, because that's what, you know, church people are supposed to do, they're to drag them into church. I'm being sarcastic again, right? And we asked them, have you been disgraceful, underhanded, or cunning? They would say no, because... God's word says that we should da 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 da. And they, what they'll do is they'll take God's word and they'll twist it a little bit, interpret it through their own lens to what? Justify what some people would call disgraceful or cunning or, or bad behavior. And they say, well, no, no, I'm, I'm really trying to be in conformance with God's word. And here's the problem Paul says, look, you're not supposed to do these three, three things. And in order to justify these three things, you're going to do a fourth thing that's even worse. We refuse to practice covenant or to tamper with God's word. Know this, that fourth one, much worse than the first three. Because you won't recognize the first three if you get the fourth one wrong. If you just kind of, well, I don't know if I agree with that part of God's word. Well, I don't know if that book really should have been in the Bible. Well, they couldn't have meant this. Oh, no, they couldn't have. That's why they wrote it in those specific words for you to get the implication that you're trying to argue against. Of course, they meant it that way. In fact, what I love more and more about my Bible as I read it is it's really pretty straightforward. There's some idiosyncrasies or maybe some details or some background that you might miss or you need to take a seminary class to get. But it's amazing how many times I ask you guys questions in church. You haven't gone to seminary and you get the answer correct. How do you do that? As God's word's pretty straightforward. right? You know when it's not straightforward? When people tamper with it, mess with it. So they can justify their own behavior. Paul says we don't do that. In fact, we want to get to the end game in good condition. And so we're going to follow God's word the way it's written, the way it's intended, to the best of our ability. But by the open statement of the truth, what's the truth? Okay, very good. By the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. This is like a really convoluted sentence. What's it saying? Let me give you the real short version. 
when you do God's word, it's attractive to others. It sucks other people in. Don't tamper with his word. No, do the truth. Why? Because it works on other people's consciences. It commends that your behavior is good. It commends that you're on their side, that you have good intentions. They look at you and go, I want to be around them more. When we tamper, that's not how it works. We do the other three things. We get ourselves in trouble. People run the other direction. Verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled. Why would the gospel be veiled? Hmm. Well, because last chapter, if you heard it, or if you go back and listen to it later on the website, uh, chapter 3 talks about this idea that sometimes the gospel is veiled. Why? Because it's, it's a letter intended for a specific audience. Who's the audience? Those that care to be saved, want to know the Lord, are trying to head that direction, or at least maybe curious in that direction. There's other people that have no desire for God, no desire for truth. They just want to do their own thing. And and last chapter talks about the idea, it's kind of like there's a veil between them and the truth. And we have zero control over the veil. Uh, In fact, there's three different analogies last chapter. A veil in front of them, a veil over them, a veil in their heart. Uh, And it says, look, for those people, you can do the best you possibly can. Follow God's word to the T. Have good intentions. And it's simply not going to work. Why? Because there's a veil. They're covered. That could bother some of us. It gets under our skin. Why won't they listen? Why I'm making this effort? And they're just not. He says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are what? They're going to Paris? Oh, is it not spelled that way? No, uh, what he's saying is, are you more bothered that they don't get it? Are you bothered that while they're not getting it, they're headed in the wrong direction? You mad that they're missing it? Or do you have a heart for the fact that if they miss it, ultimately, they'll they'll end up, they'll head to a bad place? You ever seen somebody spiral? We talked about this years ago. You, you, you're all spiraling. You know this? You're either spiraling up or you're spiraling down. And the question is, which spiral are you on? And I tell you what, I've watched the downward spiral. And sometimes it surprises me. I think somebody's doing pretty well and then you find out they're not doing well. And how does that story go? They spiral quickly. And usually the end is nice and soft and and comfortable and it it turns out well. Sarcasm again. The people are headed the wrong direction. Are you more concerned about where they'll end up or are you more concerned about the fact that they've got it wrong? You know, they should have listened to me. You know, it serves them right. If they would have just... Oh, really toxic phrases for us to be using. And Paul's almost drawing the, our attention to the fact that you, are you bothered that they're veiled or are you bothered that they're perishing? Because neither one of them are under control. But how about you learn to value them rather than their condition? In their case, verse 4, the God, lowercase g, right? What's that mean? When somebody translated this, they said, oh, we're not talking about real God. We're talking about false God. So, in their case, the false god of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image 
of God, this image that we're, we're to have the ministry of having the same in, that same image. He, he has a message, he has a light, he has a hope and a glory that people are meant to catch. And, and when we get mad at people for being veiled or not catching the message or understanding it or accepting it right out, Paul says, well, you could, you could take it as if it's their decision that they're wrong, that something's wrong with them, that they're damaged goods or whatever. Or you could look at it as, no, how about we say there's some other third-party variables that are playing into this, that are getting in the way. It's not their fault. There's other things at play that are taking them the wrong direction. Now, how does the field differ? You know, if they're just bad people, make bad decisions, and boy, they deserve what they get. Well, we don't feel very good about them, do we? And we have no idea, no heart, no thought for any kind of third variable. But if some false god is in the way, affecting, luring the little uh, the icon on the shoulder in red, you know, pushing them the wrong direction, then what? Then they're victims. Now how do you feel about them? You feel really mad at the false god, but you have care and compassion for those that might be led astray. And this is how Paul looks at it. Why would he distinguish between those two types of thinking and feeling within a church? Because what do people like to do? We, we want to shoot them as fast as we can find them. No, shooting is for clay pigeons on Tuesday nights with some kind of cooked meat with some sauce on it on the side. That's all shooting's for. I like, I like the way Paul says it. Why? Because now I get to value those people. And false God gets dealt with by someone else. Not me. In fact, I want to watch that battle. I want front row seats to that one. I don't want to fight it. And sometimes we commend ourselves by getting too involved in it. Paul says, once you step back, just care about those people. They're veiled. Do you realize? They're veiled, Scott. How do you feel about them? They're veiled. How do you help with the veil? I love looking at it that way. I think that's what Paul's trying to get us to see uh, so that we can get ourselves and them closer to that image. Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. I just think this is fun. And uh, I just think you need to realize that right there you have a verse that says, for Christ's sake. I just think that's, you've got to have fun when you read the Bible. Right? Everybody think that's a bad phrase, oh, for Christ's sake. No, 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 it's in the Bible, it's right there. Now, how you use it, well, that's up to you. And that one's on you. Right? But I just think that's kind of fun. Anyways, moving on. Uh, we don't proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Christ Jesus. And we do it to the benefit of you, your servants. We do that for other people. That's our perspective. What if, what if we found a way to serve those that are veiled? Verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Did he say that? How about right at the very beginning? And let there be light. From the darkness, he says, let there be light. Right, right at the very beginning of the show, whole show. For this God who said this has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Why do we become servants? Why do we help people with their veil? Why do we care about them? 
Why do we avoid those three difficult things or twist the truth? It's because we can help people see the face of Jesus. I thought it was kind of a funny, fun, like way to think about it. You know, people say, oh, you've, no one's ever seen Jesus. Not in like 2,000 years. You know, when you walk the planet, those people are all dead. No one's really seen Jesus. Well, how about the idea that people have the opportunity to see the face of Christ in you? If, if you thought about it that way, what does that do to the value of the next person, the next guy? person you rub shoulders with. Uh, that person that crosses you. Uh, cuts in line. Cuts you off. Or volunteers for the spot you wanted because they got there first. You know, changes the way we view, think. He said, let the light shine and so that we could show the face of Christ. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. What? You heard that phrase before, jars of clay? There's a, for a long time, great Christian band uh, called Jars of Clay. They, they, they were up here and I... I'm not sure. Maybe they still are, and I'm just out of it. I got old or something. Uh, but why would they, why would Paul say jars of clay? Not, why not like jars of steel? I, jars of titanium. I would like that a lot more. What, what's the implication that the jars are just clay? What's it implying about you? Fragile. Fragile. Right? Uh, breakable. Sensitive, compromised, short-term, imperfect. Uh, is that true? It is true. It's a healthy way to view ourselves, that we, we are incomplete. We, we are missing things. We need help. We need other people. Teamwork's a huge thing if you're a jar of clay. If you're a jar of steel, you wouldn't need anything else or anybody else. Uh, nothing gets in, nothing gets out. It's, it's the darker picture. Uh, but we have this uh, in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Amen? He makes us clay rather than steel. Why? So that He can prove to us where real power comes from. Once you look at your outline, it's the interactive portion, one of the interactive portions of your morning. Look at the top there. It says Second Corinthians chapter 4, ESV. Then it was a power in ministry. And then there's a verse. Anybody recognize the verse? We just read it, right? I want you to underline something. Any guesses on what we're underlining? The surpassing power belongs to God. Underline that. You don't have to. You can stop underlining right there, because it implies there if the power belongs to God that it's not to you. You don't have to keep underlining. You should be able to get it just from those five words, right? The surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. The problem is too often we want to have control, right? We want to have influence. We want to take credit. It gets us in trouble. We are afflicted in every way. You were inflicted in every way because we're jars of clay. You ever felt afflicted? No? We we get afflicted all the time. Right? 
But watch this. this. He says this. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Is that, does that mean bad things are going to happen? Let me ask you this. We are afflicted in every way. Is that a prescriptive statement or a descriptive statement? Is Paul saying, I want you to go out and be afflicted? Seek out affliction. No, no, it's a descriptive phrase, right? This is, we are, this is how it is. Would not the next phrase then also be descriptive? But not crushed. We go through things. And we're in the heat of it. What's it feel like? I don't know, this, this could be the end. That's what you just said, right, Jan? This could be, yeah, yucky, which is the layman's term for this is the end. It's going to all be over. We're all going to die. The sky is falling. You know, we'll never be the change. The church will never recover. Our family is going to fall apart. What? Right? It's the end. And Paul says, no, no, no. Let me, let me describe this for you. No matter how you're afflicted, you're not crushed. I love that. In fact, this looks like a really negative list. It's not. This is all great news. It's Happy Sunday. Yeah, you're going to get afflicted, but you won't be crushed. You will be perplexed, which means what? You don't, you're confused or you don't understand. Great. But although your confusion or misunderstanding could lead to lack of hope, you will not despair. No matter how confusing, complicated it gets, there's hope. You can make it through. Persecuted, but not forsaken. What? Wait a minute. I thought the very definition that they are persecuting me means they have forsaken me. I mean, wouldn't those go hand in hand? Yes. If you think the power comes from them or from you, then yes, you have been forsaken. But where did Paul say the power comes from? Look at the top. You underlined it. So you've been persecuted and forsaken by them, but you have not been uh, forsaken by the power, God. You will be forsaken by some people at times. You will never be forsaken by God our Father and His Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's where the true power is. That's great news. Yeah, but I'm going to get persecuted. Yeah, but you're going to make it through. You're going to make it through. Struck down, but not destroyed. I, li- I might maybe like this one the best. I loved, but when you're playing sports, inevitably, you're going to get knocked down. You were, you were in balance, and then all of a sudden, you are not in balance anymore. Right? Balance has left the building. There's usually marks that go with it. <laughs> Bruises, scrapes, maybe swelling. Da, da, da. Uh, th- there may be uh, sweat flying or grass in places that grass normally doesn't go. And now you're knocked down. And, and now, now is a great opportunity. Now it's decision time. What's the decision? Get up. 
first service, it, like, it took them three answers to get the get up. Which I don't understand because they got up earlier than you guys. <laughs> but you guys got it on the first answer. Some people don't make that decision. They get knocked down. And what decision do they make? Stay down. Quit. Give up. Move on. Attack. Be a victim. Be a persecutor. Get ugly. Cause a fight. We don't do that. We get up. And we get back in the game. I love getting knocked over. Because it meant a couple things. They're, they're in this game more than I thought they were. They are more of a competitor than I thought. That, I have a bigger challenge ahead of me. I have an opportunity to rise to the challenge. I will get up and I will chase them down. And I will take the ball from them and teach them they should never do this to me again. <laughs> Within the rules. Love that. You know, this list is, is a great list. Most people, I think, reading the Bible on their, on their own goes, oh, this is a dark list. Look at all the promises in there. You know what's fun about those four or five things? You know, you're this, but you're not that. You're, you're, you're this a little bit, but you're not ultimately this. And what I love about that is what it implies is there's going to be a moment where you come through it. And when it's over, when it's over, you're, you're going to have two things you've got to do. Number one, you're going to have to agree it wasn't that bad. I made it, it took me five years. Oh man, I had to go to the hospital six times or whatever. Uh, all kinds of different things. Boy, it cost me this much money. But when it's over, there's an ability to say, eh, it wasn't that bad. It was bad, but it wasn't that bad. And the second thing, right? Anybody want to attempt on this one? When it's over, and it wasn't that bad, you learned something and now, now what? What do I want to do next? Oh, well, that stunk. I didn't like that. Glad it's over. And um, what's for dinner? We're we going to the movies or uh, we're going to go we'll take a little trip, go back to work. Uh, there's the move on thing. And almost like Paul's like saying, look, you're going to go through some stuff, but guess what? You will win. It will not get the worst of you. And when it's over, you have, you have two opportunities. Wasn't that bad. What do I want to do next? How about it be something good? Biblical. Wholesome. Righteous. See, we're not destroyed. We're not struck down. We're not forsaken. We don't despair. We're not crushed. Verse 10, watch what he says. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. That death, that finished, ultimate completed action of what the dark side has we know it's there we carry it with us regularly we get glimpses of it when we go through difficult but although we carry the dark side with us we're aware of how things can be difficult uh, we carry it in our bodies so that the life of jesus may also made may be manifested in our bodies i love that the death of christ completed past tense finished action but when it talks about us that it may, it may be 
or will be manifested future ongoing action. Process that will continue on. You might be afflicted twice in your lifetime. Maybe three times more in your lifetime. Or you guys catching the sarcasm here? How about three times today? Seven times tomorrow? I mean, how about affliction's going to come on a regular basis and you have a choice to constantly approach it and go, yeah, not so bad. What do I want to do next? And grow and get better. Why? So that I can show the conquering life of Christ and have that be manifested. You know, Paul's telling us, hey, you know, this is an equation you really should live by. And what I love about it the most is the equation Jesus already accomplished at its ultimate. Jesus went to the cross. Bound, whipped, beaten, punctured, all kinds, right? Dead. And he, he woke up a couple days later. He's like, wasn't so bad. What do I want to do next? I think I'll start a church. We'll start a movement. It'll be global, endless, eternal. It'll bring a whole bunch of people in. Well, at least the smart ones. Love that. We have the example of where we're supposed to go and how we're supposed to think, approach things, interpret them right there on the cross. And Jesus did it to the ultimate level. So nothing that we go through is going to be as hard as what he went through. I just think that's great. For we, verse 11, who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal bodies. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So if I go through difficult things, it's so that you can benefit from it. Right? This perspective Paul has towards this Corinthians church. Uh, verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. We're going to tell us what we speak here in a second. But we speak it knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Ultimately, we win. The end game with other people in the presence of Christ, heaven, eternity. Verse 15, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, and he says again, we do not lose heart. Just because somebody pushes back against us, doesn't do what we want, because someone's cunning, or, or does this or that, uh, because they wrote for, vote for the wrong person, uh, whatever. We, we don't need to show favoritism or worry about any of those things because we have a longer term game that we're working at. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Anybody experiencing that outer self wasting away at all? I mean, it doesn't really happen in front of the first row here. Rich, I know, you got stories you could tell us, huh? It's wasting away up here, okay? I, anybody started using reading glasses lately? Yeah, I, that is the weirdest deal for me. Jan laughs at me all the time. My kids tell me I look like Grandpa. It's just not cool. 
right? Um, so I love this idea that, that we're going to be renewed. I, I remember being in college and just being able to run. You know, all these college soccer players and coach says, hey, you're going to go run two miles. And I remember thinking, let me see if I can win this race. A bunch of college athletes, man. And, and you know, he'd write the times down as we came in. And I remember thinking to myself, this, this might be the best I'll ever run in my life. There's a couple times where I won that race. I was like, yeah. So I'm really excited that God's going to renew me. And I'm going to be able to run like that again. Some, that, wait, wait, that's not going to happen? What? He said it's going to be renewed. How do you know it's not going to be renewed? Somebody's just about to say it. Judy? It's our inner self is renewed. How about God is renewing us to different things? Which I'm totally okay with. Because the idea of running for long periods of time and long distances, I think should be something someone else does. And I just spectate. Preferably with a cold beverage. Right? I, just, I don't want to be renewed that way. But how about he renews me to something bigger, something better? Verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond how many comparisons? Beyond all comparisons. He's preparing you for the greatest glory. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There are things that we value that hold very little value. And we can see them. And then there's things that are not valuable. And we think they're way up there. And we can see them. What Paul's saying is a lot of stuff that we can see holds very little value. Maybe no value. I mean, can you see me run fast? You could. I mean, not anymore. You could. At a, at a time, there was a time you could see me run fast. What's the, what's the real value there? What's the ultimate value there? Not very much. You see a score? A written down score? Yeah, you can, you can see that. But what are the un, unseen things that, you, that may be more valuable than that? Yeah, like like starting a church. Like how can you see the starting of a church? No. I mean you could see a service. I mean you could take a picture of candlelit people on a Christmas Eve service. I'm I'm pretty sure you can take a picture of that. I seem to remember that somewhere. But can you really see into the hearts of the people and what it's doing for them? Can you see in can you see a community change? How do you see a community change? It's, it's, like, it's like this unseen thing that come, happens over time and the people, the way it changes, they think, can you see that? It's really pretty hard. The question is, how do we start pursuing those more and doing those things uh, rather than the things that our culture does? Well, may the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Amen? Amen? I love that it says this light and momentary affliction. No one ever ever says it that way 
Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's rough. Really? Why? I'm having a really bad day. Really bad day. Not just a bad, a really bad day. Right? Why? When somebody says it's a really bad day, what does it do to your mind and your heart? Ooh, this is not good. You start worry and your problem solver kicks in maybe and you, you want to get involved in the whole thing. Know this, when you say like it's really bad, that might be, dare I say, that is self-fulfilling. Some psychologists, psychiatrists, they tell you, you start to think of things and say them that way, you are sending a message to your brain and your mind, even the chemicals in your system, that it's true. And you'll get into fight or flight mode. Really bad day. You can do the opposite. Hey, how you doing? Uh, not, not too bad. Pretty good. Oh, really? Wow, is something good going on? No, actually, it's a light momentary affliction. <laughs> you will confuse the heck out of people. But you said it with a smile, and it sounded funny, and now they know something's not quite right, but they know what about you? You're okay. And you've got different chemistry going on in your brain. Because you're thinking, yeah, I might get knocked down, but I will get up. I might be perplexed, but I won't be in despair. You can't stop me. You can only hope to contain me. Right? A little sports analogy. We got some, you know. Uh, When you start thinking in terms of light momentary affliction. Last week I told you to use the phrase God's economy at least three times a day during the next week. How'd that go? Did you guys try that? This week, your new phrase for the week, every day, light momentary affliction. Oh, this is not so bad. It's just light momentary affliction. All right, let me get you into three things and we'll, and we'll be on our way. Uh, Paul has this process for us. If we're jars of clay, where does our power and ministry come from? It comes from God. So what is his power in ministry for us meant to do it meant it's meant for us to seek renewal uh if you had a better pastor he would have had you write seek his renewal right uh not just we renew it on our own we come up with our own idea what needs to be fixed but how about what does god need to fix what does god want to be new in you uh verse well that's funny you guys flip my notes over you ban people huh is that you flip my yeah i gotta watch you guys uh 16 so we do not lose heart, though through our outer self is wa- or though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, ongoing. This, this kind of begs a question: what what needs to be renewed in you? You see, the the answer is going to be different for you than it would be for Fred. Paul doesn't answer the very specific to you question of how you in unique detailed ways need to be renewed in fact I kind of like that he makes it vague we all need renewal what kind well who are we talking about depends talk about Fred or Wanda I mean it could be very different we all need renewal but we need it in different ways and we need it his way right so the first question you might even write that down what needs to be renewed in you 
The second question you might write down is, how am I going to be renewed? It could be a small group. It could be that you need to get around some other people and like open up a little, share a little, or maybe just listen to them open up and share. Maybe you just need a little more social interaction. You're becoming a hermit. I don't know why I said that. Somebody in here is probably becoming a hermit and they're not getting out enough and they need to get out more. That could do it. Maybe you need to be a little more organized, maybe a little more responsible, whatever. There could be all kinds of different ways. What needs to be renewed and how are you being renewed? All right. And then second thing, uh, if, if we're to be renew, uh, seeking renewal or seeking His renewal, uh, then we really need to let Him prepare you. He said we're being prepared. Prepared for what? Verse 17 says this, uh, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You, you are getting prepared for something. It starts with renewal. Right? Sometimes things just need to be renewed. Because what you've been doing isn't working and there's some things that are compromised and there's a potential for something to go wrong and you just need to cut that out, move on from that and move on to next. I was meeting with uh, one of you guys from the church and I'm, I'm sitting in the meeting and the phone rings. Uh, it's my son. He's homesick for the day. Uh, what's going on? The police are here. Right, in that moment, there's like 78 things happen in one second, right? And Julie's at work, the other two kids are gone, my son's home, and the police are there. What are the, all the options of what could have just happened? Is the house on fire? Did they set off the alarm? Did the dog bite somebody? Or, you know, who knows, right? Uh, come to find out, the police has one of my blank checks. What's going on? Uh, somebody got into my car in my driveway, of all places. Can you believe that? They took my checkbook. They went a couple blocks down, got into somebody else's car. They just left them a little gift there, one of my blank checks. Comes back, is this your check, Mr. Berglund? Yes, it is. I said, where's the rest of the checkbook? The officer's like, I don't know. Where was I for the next few hours? Why would I go to the bank? They don't have my checkbook. What am I doing? I'm renewing. I'm getting a different account. What I had was compromised. There's blank checks out there. You know, some of some of us, the way we function, got blank checks hanging in the wind, and people we don't like have them. It starts time for us to start changing the way that we act, the way that we think, and what we do, and, and like open a new account. Uh, where there's no potential for a compromise, right? Uh, so that was this week. That was fun, right? But we renew so that God can then get us in a stable position where He can then prepare us for something. Uh, write this question out. What's, what's God preparing you for? Because when my light and momentary affliction of my checkbook being taken is over, I get asked two questions. Wasn't so bad. And now, what am I prepared to do? 
It's time to move on and do something else. Right? And it's, it is your calling to do something above and beyond yourself. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open the wind. I'm going to pull the curtain back. You're going to get to see behind the curtain. You're going to know that I'm not a very good person. Okay, I'm just going to, in order to make this point, I'm going to compromise myself. I was with some people not too long ago, and I was just, I was observing. They have more time than I do. I don't understand that because there's, there's 24 hours in a day. There's only 60 minutes in an hour, but somehow they have more time than I do, and I was observing this, and I got into a conversation with yet a third party uh, whose name will remain anonymous to protect their guilt as well. Uh, they, we, they were talking about this, and I, I made this observation. It was, I'm not a good person. I said, well, you know, they don't seem to have anything that they invest in beyond their own family, their own house, their own work. I'm wondering, if, like, where do they do other or else for them like where do they serve where do they do they set up a tent anywhere for someone else do they do they help a nonprofit? are they involved in church are they do they team mom ever did i mean what do they do other than just provide for them of course they have more time than me i'm extended in way too many directions I don't understand that because I thought that would make me a good person. But obviously I'm not a good person because I'm judging them. Right? But it's this idea that I, like, I had this moment where I go, they're prepared to do stuff beyond themselves and they're not doing anything. It's just, it was a weird moment. Okay? I, I never want to have that feeling about you. Okay, so do something. All right. um, but if we're, if we're going to seek his renewal and, and let him prepare us, that's in order to what? Number one, you're all going to have something unique that's different for you, where you do things that are godly and biblical and, and helping other people in, in many ways. But there is one overarching one that's true of all people. Uh, and Paul Paul gives it to us in verse 15. As grace extends to more and more people, uh, we're to extend more grace to more people. You've got to figure out how you extend grace to more people. Where is your grace avenue? And who are, like, you've got six people in your life that are really easy to be gracious to. Super easy. I'm not talking about them. Like some of them live in your house and it's like, well, I could just be nice. I have to be nice. I mean, we live in the same house. I get up and they're there. I go to sleep and they're there. I just, I kind of have to be, right? Uh, I'm talking about there's other, how, how about you extend grace to the, that seventh person out there you're, you've not thought of? How, how about the guy that like, how about Jose who takes your order? Did you even know his name was Jose? Right? How, how about the, some the people in the cubicle next to you where you work? Right? Do you, is it a good experience for them that they run into you every day? Now how about this? This one might even hurt more. How about the people that you do live in the house with, that you do wake up next to or down the hall, that you do see every day? How, maybe you're not extending 
grace to them as much as you could be. I'm, I am not going to point any fingers on that one. But you know, part of, part of what God's trying to do in you is to stop judging if they have the image or if they're veiled or if they get it. In, no. Remove all of that judgment. Scott, how dare you look at that family and think of them that way? How about you just fit? Hey, how do how you be gracious to them? This is a hard lesson I learned this week. It was not fun. We've got to get to the point where that's what we're doing. Being renewed ourselves in greater ways that make us better than just running fast. To the point where he prepares us and gives us new skills. I mean, no, none of us are doing what we're doing at 22, right? If you're 22, are you doing what you were doing at 12? No, you're getting better. You better be. And as those two things happen, we get to a place where we can offer more grace to more people on a regular basis. That's awesome. That's one of the overarching things. You'll have specific ways that you do it based on your own giftings. But here's the other thing. The last one. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And and here's one of the greatest truths you'll ever get from this place. No one proclaims that but us. I don't mean this specific church. I mean the church overarching in general, global Many denominations. Those that preach Christ crucified, resurrected, and ascended. We're the only ones who proclaim Christ. And, And here's the deal. I am so tired of all that is proclaimed. Because there is a whole lot of bags and truckloads of rotten fruit being proclaimed out there. Right? Watch either of the political parties and all of the blah that they proclaim. We proclaim silly things that aren't important, like the 49ers or the Raiders. We proclaim that stuff on a regular basis. Okay, I do it for fun. I enjoy it. But ultimately, zero value. This weekend, Foothill proclaimed something trying to do some transgender kind of thing. They did a vote for the homecoming court. They voted in three boys and not a single girl. I don't want to ask what they're proclaiming. I'm not sure they know what they're complaining. And I know me ranting on what they may or may not be proclaiming is a waste of my time. Because what's my job? Proclaim Christ crucified, resurrected, and ascended. And the greater glory that comes with that. I need, to, I need to stick to that. It's the only thing that I will have any real return on or be any kind of effective at. And let those veiled look at it best they can. And we ask that God remove the veil and give them clarity. But they're going to do their thing. Our job. We proclaim Christ. To a dying world proclaiming everything else. That's what we're here for. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you that uh, we have a shot at renewal. Beyond that, Lord, you prepare us to not just be puppets, but to have an active role in, in what you're doing. An active role in people's lives. That we can project care and value, blessing, 
Lord, you call it ministry, that we could have a ministry in you. And I pray, Lord, you would show us the ways in, in which we could extend grace to people. Give us unique ways that feel right, that excite us, that are effective and efficient, that people might see the light of your son's face in us. And then, Lord, help us not to be distracted, as I so easily am. Father, we thank you for the people that are here today. And if you've never made the decision to be renewed and prepared and to be an agent of grace in his kingdom, you can, do, you can just say it that way. God, I accept your son. May he renew me from this day forward. May he prepare me for the ministry that I might have in you so that from now on, I will have your grace, Lord, and I will extend that grace to others. If you want to start that relationship with the Lord today, you say that prayer. Say it however you want. And then let us know that we can help and be a part of that. Come talk to us. Lord, we thank you for the offering that we're about to receive. Pray that you would bless it. Help us to be a renewed, prepared, grace-extending church. And then, Lord, for those who are guests or visiting, that they feel no obligation to give, but recognize what we do as a family. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.